Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We are in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It is Friday. We'll get into the mailbag a little bit later on. Also, John Garrett will join us. Uh, so we'll have story time with Cheech to come ahead of the Canucks and Flames, which uh, we will bring you pregame starting at 6 on Sportsnet Radio Network. And also we'll join up on Sportsnet Pacific after 6.30 as well in the lead up to this one. A big one for the Flames and the Canucks riding out the final eight games of their schedule. But a big night at Rogers Arena nonetheless, as it is Pride Night here on Trans Day of Visibility as well. It's a very important night to the Canucks organization. It's a very important night to the community. And for all those in the 2SLGBTQ plus community. And tonight is supposed to be about that, Sat. And um, as we all know, the discussion became, through the course of the day, Andre Kuzmenko's decision to not wear the Pride warm-up jersey. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's disappointing, yet mm-hmm. also... Uh, as we've seen the trend across the National Hockey League, it's illuminating into how, how a lot of people do feel. Yeah. And in, in some ways, you know, how, how far we still have to go, which also in many ways imparts the importance of, of why Pride Night and events like this need to happen and will happen and the significance of them. And it's too bad because you're right. The Canucks are going above and beyond in many ways, especially yeah. comparatively to other NHL teams and what they're doing. And, you know, the big focus, or at least a lot of the focus, is on Kuzmenko not donning the jersey. There's a, a ton going on around Rogers Arena tonight. You know, even beyond the warm-up jersey, there's uh, big celebrations going on at um, on the plaza as well. So, you know, it, it is a celebration, not just about warm-up jerseys. It's a lot more yeah. than that. And the Canucks have made it very clear that this is important to their organization um, to support the 2SLGBTQ plus community. And that's why... I think, look, people are going to make and people are going to discuss Andre Kuzmenko's decision. I know where I stand on it. I don't agree with it. But there's a a question here of whether or not the focus should be on one player's decision to not wear it or the organization's decision to move forward through a star player's decision and say, mm-hmm. no, this is what we're about. You can sit on the sidelines. We're going forward with this. Yeah, and I mean, the the team should be doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they yeah. shouldn't be, you know, saying we're not going to do this. And, you know, players, especially when you see with the CBA, you see what's happened, they have a right not to wear it, and mm-hmm. you can not participate. And it doesn't mean you will be reprimanded because – that's not part of what happens. I know people have mentioned, you know, should he be reprimanded? Should they scratch him? Should they punish him? It's like, well, that opens up a can of worms, especially when it comes to the CBA and players and everything, the PA. I mean, it's one of those things where you can't really mm-hmm. do much about. So, I mean, it, you know, a player is free to choose what things to do or not to do. Yes. Right? So that's 
one of the things where you can't just sit here and say, hey, scratch the player. It's not just that simple. And yeah, I understand. People are texting in and saying um, they're, you know, they're upset that we're even talking about this. I mean, the fact we said it's disappointing mm-hmm. that we're talking about this instead of saying, you know, what a positive night this is and what the Canucks have in store. There's a lot of toxic negative reaction. Just to saying that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I know a lot of people are very much, um, let's say, in favor of what Kuzmenko is doing or not doing in this case. Yeah. And I don't think there's much you can say or do to convince a lot of people. But I still think what this is all about is just welcoming people. Mm-hmm. Wearing this jersey, like Brian Burke says, is not enlisting in any set of values. It's simply saying you're welcome to play here. That's all it comes down to. It's... um. It's not necessarily about, uh, you know, well, what it is about is it's it's like the most basic um, minimum gesture of tolerance, right, yeah. in a way. And a hockey player's decision to not wear that is going against, you know, that accepting nature of just wearing the jersey and saying, hey, you're welcome here in our barn watching this hockey game. Yeah. And that that just sense of inclusion can just can go a long way in and of itself for many people in the community and to the allies of that community. Yeah, and I think that's what this night is all about. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about growing the game and, and having the game open to, because there are people listening right now who are part of the community. Yep. You know, and, and are big fans of the team. And all they want, a lot of them, and I'm, I don't want to speak for people, is just feel like, hey, you're allowed to be a fan, you're welcome, and that's it. Yep. You know what I mean? That's what it, what it comes down to. Obviously, with Kuzmenko, especially because he comes from Russia, he has cited family reasons. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard what those family reasons are. I know there's a lot of talk about the legalities in Russia. Obviously, there are fines associated. It's a completely different world in Russia. Like, yeah. we, I mean, these things are not normative there. So there's a different world that we're talking about. And we haven't heard Kuzmenko really talk about, you know, what the reasons are, what the family reasons are. So it's kind of like, let's see what he has to say at some point, if yeah. he does actually speak to it. But at the end of the day, when we talk about growing the game, Dan, that's why these nights happen, these theme nights happen, whether it's reaching out to other communities. It's because you look at the demographics of this country, you look at it in North America, and also look at the growth necessary for this game across the world. It's very much about growing the game and having more people being willing to participate and view the game. It's better for everybody involved because you look at hockey player, you look at like the minor levels now. Mm-hmm. Players aren't playing as much. Like there aren't. Like, it's harder to play. It's more expensive. There are a lot of roadblocks to play. Yeah. What you're trying to do is remove as many roadblocks as possible because you need to do that to grow the game. Yeah. And hockey is a hard game to grow grassroots wise. So this is what it's about. I mean, you got you got to step back and look at these things and say, what's good for the what's the what's for the greater good of the game. And that's what it really comes down to. And if you want this game to be successful, you want this game to grow. It needs to be open to pretty much everybody, and that's what it comes down to. Uh, Canucks will be uh, wearing the warm-ups today and also a ton of activities going on around the stadium in the lead-up to puck drop between the Canucks and Flames. Um, This topic is going to continue through the course of the day. I'm sure we'll get more texts. It'll come up in the mailbag as well and um, during pregame because it's uh, kind of hard to avoid. But that's where Andre Kuzmenko stands, and uh, the Canucks have made their decision. Kuzmenko will not wear the pride jersey for tonight's matchup against the Flames. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. A ton of other news going around with the Canucks today, Sat. 
we won't see Philip Hronik for the remainder of the season. And I was surprised by that, to say the least. You know, you see the tweets come out that he's not on the ice for practice or yeah. uh, morning skate. And then Rick Tockett says, yeah, he's just he's not going to play. We're shutting him down for the season so that he can really get to working on his shoulder and rehabbing that and then getting ready for the start of next year. I guess, you know, similarly with Oliver Ekman Larson, where you know, we spoke to OEL and he was hopeful that he could return and Rick Tockett was like, no, nah, I don't think so. I think there's a to go in line with the whole big summer thing. Tockett wants to make sure, I think Tockett has made it clear and communicated to his players what he expects and what he wants, what he hopes to see from them over the course of the summer. And there's an expectation of what your fitness level is going to be, that you're going to put in the work to get better over the course of the summer as well. And for a player who is nursing a shoulder injury, why not just, now that we've gotten a look at you, we know what you are, we know how you might fit. Go get your offseason started and get ready for next year. Yeah, and I mean, what we've seen from him is not at all close to what his peak should be as a player. Like, we barely saw the shot, if at all, you know. And um, and also just his overall play, like, it was competitive and it was very positive. Like, we saw a lot of good things from him. But I don't think we saw anything close to, you know, what he can truly do. And I think it's interesting that the organization simply wanted to get a look. And I think that's what it came down to to some degree, right? It's like, hey— it's probably best for you to shut it down, but hey, you want to come back? Let's see how what happens, right? Come back, play a few games, talk it, gain some familiarity with them. The mm-hmm. team games, the team gains some familiarity with them. And organizationally, from management's perspective, having watched them play with a, du- a number of different partners, even for a very small sample, does that help them inform? That help inform them a little bit about what could work here for sure, and what can't work for sure, and how that shapes what you're looking for in the off season. You probably had a general idea, but I think it was just kind of important to reinforce those things. And I think they kind of got what they needed. And now it's about hey, just just go and get ready for next yeah. season. But I don't think we've seen the best of Verona. Just to see how it looks um, in in the grand picture, and I think that was important. We all came away incredibly positive with what we saw from Philip Peronic yeah. in these first few games. I don't think there is too much discussion otherwise. And it makes you wonder what it could all look like next year and how it helps the Canucks maybe have a higher floor as a team now that they've got another surefire top-end defenseman in their lineup. But I also wonder if there is, with eight games left to play, how much of this is okay? Let's make sure we're not getting too close to being out of the Bedard sweepstakes entirely. Yeah, listen, you can't you can't force the coach to play a guy a fewer guys fewer minutes and yeah. limit how the goalie starts. Maybe, but what you can do is take away the availability of certain <laughs> players. Not to say Talkett wasn't on board with this. He even you know very much spoke about yeah. Hey, just go and take care of it. This is what's best for the team. Also but, mentioned, like, we haven't even seen a shot, right? No. As, as one of the things that maybe his shoulder had been affecting in his game. But essentially, he made the team too good to some degree, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you made the team too good. Why risk any sort of injury? Like, we don't, we really don't need this anymore. We got yeah. what we needed. You know, yeah. like, you, you really don't need anything more, right? Like, I think as for as all the talk we've had about is this organization trying to tank or not, and... I think they've done about as much as you can do. The heronic addition, as we've seen, too, he was injured. They're kind of shutting him down. They weren't looking at him to come and help out and, and be a piece the rest of the season. It was about kind of the future and maybe getting a look, and that's all it was. But they've pretty much done as much as they can. 
Yeah. Like, they can't force JT not to play. Like, the guy yeah. wants to play. It doesn't matter what he's going through. He wants to keep playing. You can't force him not to. And the way he's going, especially the leadership vacuum, I get that one, right? But outside of that, anybody who's felt something, they're not they're not playing. They shut down Mikheyev. They traded away their captain. They, they've done a lot of things to aid themselves towards not moving up the standings, and yet they're still above 500 in the Rick Tockett era. Some of that is strength of schedule. Some of that is new coach bump. Some of that was simply getting your goaltender back. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, you couldn't have kept Thatcher Demko out any longer than they did. Remember how long they delayed Demko coming back into the lineup? It seemed like forever that it took him to get back. So there is an element of that. You know, they got pretty close to falling out of the Bedard uh era or section of the lottery balls i should Almost. say as i well, lost not, the word yeah you want to do everything you can from this point on to not win too much yes <laughs> and the schedule is uh, i mean these next few games are critical yes. for the bedard sweepstakes and then those final few on the road where they're anaheim and hey, chicago Ari- arizona is not an easy place to play no it's not an easy place to play. at mullet arena it's not. Mm. They've been good at, at home. They have been good. They've been good at home. Everybody, uh, Nobody likes that visitor's dressing room that no, we saw so exactly. much early in the season. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's definitely some elements of that. And as I said to you yesterday, you know, the coach, players, um, like, they can tell, right? And a coach has to show the players that he's trying to win games. And there's a trust level there. And Tockett was riding his stars. That's why he's riding his stars. And a lot of teams, Clayton Keller's been playing a bunch of minutes. There's a bunch of teams near the bottom that are playing their stars a bunch of minutes. It's not just a Rick Tockett soul thing. So I think those things are important to keep in mind as well. Um, A couple of other things happened with the Canucks today as we kind of go through the bits of news. People got really excited about Vitaly Kravtsov when he was... (laughs) Traded. Hey, man, ninth overall from pick. From the New York Rangers. Ninth overall pick. I, look, I'm, I'm still, I'm not going to like change my mind on the deal. They basically yeah. played nothing to take a look at Vitaly Kravtsov. And we can all agree it hasn't gone well. He still hasn't scored a goal as a Vancouver Canuck. Uh, he's not going to play tonight. He's going to be the healthy scratch for Vancouver. And Rick Tockett was asked about Kravtsov today. Here's what he had to say. It's a tough one because you know, you know whether they're projects or got, you know, you got to really earn your spot. And I, you know, Kratzy's got to understand that it's you know uh, he's got some talent, but we need him to really dial in and want to be an NHL player. And and uh, this is a big summer for him. I know I keep saying it, but uh, you know I haven't seen enough from for him to him to be on in the lineup and want it. You know I know, you know. You know, there's there's games on the line, and I got to trust guys that are going to go out there and, and, and listen. He's given some good moments. Don't get me wrong. He's just got to get stronger. He's got to get in shape. You know, you, you know, he's got to to play at this level. So it's it's important that he shows us that. So something we've talked about quite a bit is and wondered about is Kravtsov's level of want for all this sat. And he's earned this reputation given what the story was in New York. We want to send you to the AHL. Oh, no. You want to send me to the AHL? I'm going to go play in the KHL. Thank you very much. And his career development has potentially suffered because of it. When you watch him, you see some elements. You see some good things. When you watch him, you also see there is a lack of fitness there. Because 
he gets to 40, 45 seconds on a shift, and you can see some huffing and puffing going on. Yes. Right? So there's clear things, and Tockett has said it a bunch of times. I don't think Tockett is gaining anything at this point from watching Kravtsov play. He knows what he is. And what he is is somebody who needs to have a big summer in order to give himself a chance to have a role on this team next year. Tockett has pretty much told us that point blank. Well, and it's also very clear watching him. Like, he runs out of gas after a little while, right? I mean, everything... What I think the most when I see him play outside of you see some flashes and there's something there clearly, right? He's got size. He's got some decent instincts. He's got a good shot. Like he, he could be a, he could be a good player. There's a lot there, but the kind of that engagement that you yeah. hear, um, talk and mention, which is essentially like how much get up are you playing with? Right. Yeah. Are you, how much force do you have in your game? Like, are you tentative? Like he's kind of tentative at times. He kind of floats at times. You know what I mean? Like those things have to change and he is willing to go into the boards, but he goes in awkwardly. He does doesn't have good technique. He doesn't. He doesn't have the confidence and the strength going in it. So he goes in hard, not half, fully committed. Yeah, it's half-hearted, right? Yeah. Like it, it very much is, and that's clear when you watch him play. And all I think about is when I see him, is the Rangers were right. He needs time. He needs to grow his game. He's not ready for the NHL. Not ready for anything outside of what he's getting, which is yeah. healthy scratch, five or six, seven minutes. But that's not a way for him to get better. He's got to get better. And if he doesn't want to play in the AHL. Well, you better have a damn good summer and show up next year <laughs> figuring it out over the next three or four months. Yeah. Outside of that, God, I don't know if it's going to work. To me, it comes down to how, how bad does he want to be an NHL player? Yeah. That's what it comes down to. It's simple for me for Kravtsov. Does he want it? Uh, and talk, it's been pretty public about what he wants to see from Kravtsov. Stay in Vancouver. Let us have a hands-on help to your approach to your summer, and that way you can... Give yourself the best opportunity to possibly be in the lineup next year. He doesn't even have a contract for next year right now, so that's still up in the air. But it's pretty clear this player has a lot of work to do. And there's a text coming in, there is no shot, LOL. Look, you don't see a lot from from Kravtsov because... He can't get to his spots. Yeah, not consistent. The best flashes we saw were the first couple of games. Yeah. There was one chance in particular he had in his first game where he helps win a battle in the defensive zone. He joins the rush. He gets the puck. I think it was, I, forget, I think it was Pudkolzin who passed it to him. Yeah. And he was right in the slot and got a good shot off and probably should have scored. It was a good save by the goalie. I forget who it was. But like we saw it there. We saw a couple other instances. But to your point, outside of that, we don't see him get to those spots enough. And you got to get to your spots in the NHL. There's only so many guys that can create space for themselves in order to get a shot off. Um, we've seen that be a problem uh, for this team. And, you know, there was a couple of games there where, was it the Arizona game where he got bumped up the lineup with with Facility Pod Colson? And, you know, they both enjoyed maybe close to 13 minutes that night. But, you know, as Yannick always tells us, Yannick Hansen, former Canuck, you can play one good game. But show me it over and over and over again, and uh, that's been the problem for Kravtsov. Yeah, it has. So he's going to have to really put that work in. There's also another element. There's a bottom six forward that's currently getting top-line minutes right now. It's Dakota Joshua, and he's staying in that spot. It was instructive to me today listening to Talkit, and he spoke about Joshua, what he's doing well, and he didn't highlight necessarily any big flashes but there's mentions of a lot of little things that he wants to see from these complimentary players in order for themselves to get more ice time. 
and it's why Joshua has earned more ice time. Here it is. Yeah, well, I had uh, Giuseppe out there for about thirty seconds. We had a whistle, and I, you know, I put Josh. Uh, just won a bigger guy, and if you, if you, we won, we won the draw. Well, the puck was loose, and he got the draw. Big guy, he knew his job, and he did it, and we scored a goal because of him. He got assist. Do you assist on the? He might have got an assist on. It, I think, but I guess my point is, um, those guys, uh, we, we need retrieval type, big type of guys that can, that can, yeah, whether you're big or not, but guys that come up with loose pucks and. He's trending in that that air, uh, you know, that arrow going up. He's he's one of those guys that come up with loose pucks and or win in a wall battle to get the puck out. He's really done a nice job the last month for us. So winning wall battles, yeah. uh, those things always important to the coach. We've talked about Joshua really doing a much better job in those areas, and that's part of the reason he's getting more opportunity. But specifically, shouts out the faceoff that leads to Quinn Hughes' tying goal and how. Joshua ends up winning it. You know, yeah. it's one of those faceoffs that ends up as a loose puck, and Joshua gets to the puck first and tips it back to Besser, who then gets it to Quinn Hughes, who scores the tying goal. These are the little things that a complimentary forward can do to earn more trust from the coach and more minutes higher up the lineup. Yeah, and not only just the high, it's also playing in different types of situations. Like yes. if Dakota Joshua is going to be a player long-term and be a impactful player, they have to be able to trust him in late-game situations, on big PKs. And what do you need on a, on a big PK? Help win a... Help win a draw. Exactly. Help win wall battles. Get the puck out, right? Same thing when you're defending a lead late in the game. Those are the types of things you need from these types of players. And that's how you grow from being a nice guy that can play a little bit up and down your lineup and give you something and somebody who's actually impactful, right? And, and somebody you can actually long-term win with. And Dakota Joshua is showing a lot of growth in those areas. And I know it's kind of boring, but th- the sad thing is the team was so behind on all the boring aspects that we have to focus on these things now. Details, man. But hey, the good news is a lot of this stuff comes down to commitment, yeah, hard work. That's it. Like we're not at, we're not even talking about defensive awareness. That's a different level. It's like it's simply like yeah. can you do the basic things we need to do for us to be able to get out of a ship. Well, and you know, on those draws, they may not seem like much, but you're fighting through a lot of contact yeah. and to to get to that puck first and help your team win that puck, win that possession. Well, you know how we talk about a friend of the net boxing out? Yeah. You're battling and essentially trying to box out, right? Like that's that's how you're trying to get get into your space and and help your center get the puck or just fight for loose pucks. And that's just it's simply as like it it's a lot of hard work. Yep. You know, like one player who was criticized a lot in Vancouver and for good reason, because I mean, not him, but the contract was Jay Beagle. But you know where Jay Beagle excelled? All those little areas. Not He won draws like yeah. nobody's business. He would win board, board battles <laughs> Going all away. the time. Like he'd never <laughs> lose a board battle. Never. He'd be so good at sealing guys out, yeah. right? Getting the puck, wasting time. Like Canucks PK was always good because they, they had Beagle and Sutter winning draws yep. and they got saves. You know, but like those guys, the good, what they did really well was the details. Now, it wasn't worth paying that much money for just the details. You needed more to your game, and that's where the frustration comes into. But those things matter in a massive way. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Coming up, more on your Vancouver Canucks. They've got the Calgary Flames tonight. Also, John Garrett. We're enjoying these last few with Cheech on the call alongside John Shorthouse. And Cheech joins us for his weekly hit next on Canucks Central.
Canuck Central in the Kintec studio, Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. Traveling in March, Rogers has you covered. Get one Rome-like home day on Rogers when you travel between now and March 31st. To learn more, go to rogers.com. So still uh, still time to get your uh, free Rome-like home day yeah. before midnight. Uh, what is it, seven and a half hours? Yep. If my math is correct. Uh, maybe you're going down to Seattle for the weekend. I don't know. You Trader might be, Joe's trip. You might be on your way right. You might be streaming us right now <laughs> on the room like home. Uh, you can uh, you can go watch the, the Seattle Mariners. I don't know. Mm-hmm. See what Matt Brash did to Jose Ramirez yesterday? It was unbelievable. Yeah, that was pretty wild. <laughs> Never seen Jose Ramirez swing like that. Anyways. <laughs> He was. I, I've seen uh, the falling memes. over. Yeah, the I've Megan the Thee Stallion. Meme, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. By the way, Megan Thee Stallion. Very nice. Yeah. Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. So um, tonight's game against the Calgary Flames. It's an interesting one. Like um, Calgary, I'm. <laughs> you know, I thought they were going to be a playoff team this year. I know you, remembering back to our early shows this season, we're like, eh, pump the brakes a little bit on the Calgary yeah. love. I faded the Flames pretty hard before the season. And uh, they are this year's Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. <laughs> like last year's Golden yeah. Knights. Yes, not this season. No, yeah, sorry, not this year's Vegas Golden Knights. They're actually good. good. Uh, yeah. la- they are last season's Vegas Golden Knights. Yes. Big disappointment. Yeah. Big disappointment. And a lot of it's kind of, it seems from the outside to be a bit of a repudiation of Daryl Sutter hockey from, yep. from what you've kind of seen. But it's easy to kind of draw that line. But at the same time, is it simply new offensive players trying to find their way in a new home and it's going rather poorly for them, like, say, Jonathan Huberto? Yeah, a lot of changes, yeah. right? I, I think we do undersell the value of continuity. Hmm. Um. And losing your two best players up front, it's, yeah. it's kind of like if the Canucks all of a sudden traded Pedersen too. Yeah, you know what I mean. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're trying to uh, you're trying to fill that hole, right? Yeah. Um, look, Calgary made a lot of big changes. You lose Johnny Gaudreau. You bring in Jonathan Huberdeau, who is a more expensive but not as good version of Johnny Gaudreau. Um, Weger's more. Yeah, Weger is uh, Weger's a nice piece. But has, does it all really fit, especially with uh, Daryl Sutter's very strict coaching ways? Now, look, they I think I pretty much claimed them to be uh, out of the playoffs last week. But uh, because of the way the Winnipeg Jets continue to play, Calgary ain't done yet. So that's he, why this is a desperate game for them tonight. Hey, listen, uh, I like to uh, sell high yes. and buy low. And I'm buying low on the Calgary Flames, right? Like, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, it's, I've faded them in terms of being this contender. But I now I look at them, I'm like, I actually like them better than the Winnipeg Jets. And if, if Definitely better than Nashville. Right. And if they play, you know, if they actually play better defensively, they keep playing better defensively, and Markstrom's actually found his game, like, they're going to be a tough team to beat if they get into the postseason. Um. You know, the way Markstrom has been, it, like, finally making some more saves more consistently, which is nice to see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you also get a Flames team that, like, I think there's some players there that are um, maybe not as lauded as they should be, and one being uh, Michael Backlund. But we'll get back to that as we get closer to game time. But joining us now, he joins us weekly on the show. His 
performance on the show last week is still being talked about. Um, the the singing, the karaoke version of John Garrett that we got last yes. week yes. was absolutely legendary. The text message inbox is still buzzing, Cheech, because of yeah, that. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> Rocky Mountain High. You must be a kid. In Colorado. Uh, lauded. I like that. Lauded. Michael yes. Backlund could be lauded. Yes. What is that? You put him on the back of a truck? Yeah. <laughs> Loaded? Lauded. He no, lauded on the like back of a lauded, truck. It's like applauded. You applauded, know? yeah. Oh, lauded. like the Latin. Yeah. Yes. The word praise is yes. where you're going, <laughs> seeing as how I'm a scholar from Queens. You're a scholar? Oh, I'm definitely not. I, I just tend to, like, I'm like an Italian wedding DJ guy, like, applauso, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, here's a, here's a story. Forget the hockey. Lauded. Uh, so I'm playing junior in Peterborough. Okay. Yep. Story time with Cheech. Yes, that's please. what we were hoping uh, for. Okay, really. I uh, got drafted by the Peets, Roger Nielsen and his Peterborough Peets, out of midget. Yeah. But in uh, back in those days, you went to grade thirteen in Ontario, and then you went to university, and you only had to go to university for three years. So, my dad was a principal of the high school that I was attending in Trenton, Ontario. And they had two veteran goalies in Peterborough, and I was just coming out of midget. And I, my dad says, well, why don't you stay one year and finish your grade 13 and then uh, see if any U.S. colleges want you and that kind of thing. And Cornell was interested. They took my mom and dad down to Ithaca, New York a couple of weekends, and we scouted out Cornell. I would have followed Ken Dryden. Those aren't big shoes to fill. No, That would have been all. fine. <laughs> but anyway, the big red, they, because, uh, and there were seven kids in my family, and, but they looked at my dad's income and it's, it's not how many kids he had to provide for. And my older siblings were already in university. So, and my mom wasn't working with seven kids. How are you going to work? Yeah. So, uh, they couldn't really afford to send me anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, the Pete's would give me a uh, full ride at Trent University in Peterborough. So uh, I went to uh, Peterborough and uh, played there. But I didn't get very many courses because I got picked up by the Junior Canadians for the Memorial Cup that year. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was right during exam time. So we did win the Memorial Cup, but I didn't do very well in my exams. Hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really surprised. So, so the next year, uh, I'm still in Peterborough. And uh, we finish, and Craig Ramsey, who people might know Craig Ramsey, played in Buffalo for all those years, coached Tampa Bay with torts when they won the Stanley Cup. He was my roommate, and this other guy named Ken Richardson. And we first time ever that Roger Nielsen <laughs> let his players get an apartment, because all three of us were going to Trent at the time, and we had an apartment together. <laughs> Needless to say, the three of us didn't do very well in our exams <laughs> that year either. <laughs> So anyway, I got two credits out of uh, my two years <laughs> instead of ten uh, at Trent. And then I turned pro, and it continued on. And then I never got back into it until, oh, maybe four or five years after. And my parents in the summertime said, well, why don't you take a correspondence course? Mm. And I couldn't take correspondence courses from Trent. They didn't offer that, but Queens did. So I'm taking correspondence courses from Queens. And it, it worked, I, you know, I got one or two, and then I got away from it again, and uh, I, my dad passed away, and my mom said, well, you know, your father would have really liked you to go back and, and get some more courses. 
So I, I started going back again, taking courses in the summer and go back. And you're right, it's hard. People think, oh, well, it's correspondence, it's easy. It's like 10% during the year and all these essays that you do. And then you have a one-time exam that you go back and write. Or well, I wrote one at UBC through Queens. They have a right, little room yeah. for the correspondence courses. And then I did one at Kwantlen through Queens again. And But anyway, I, I got a few more that way. And then... My mom passed away, and then so I got away from it again. And then there was a lockout, one of the many NHL lockouts one year, and my wife says to me, well, come on, you're not doing anything during the lockout. Why don't you take a couple more courses? So I took a couple more courses, and then we got back to work, and I'm slugging away. And uh, then one of my sisters retires. She's a school teacher. She was a vice principal someplace. And she said, okay, you only got two or three left. <laughs> Why don't I help you and, and we can do this and, and we'll get your degree. And sure enough, uh, 30 years after my first year at Trent University, I was at convocation at Queen's University in the fall of, I forget what year it was, but 30 years after 30 I started. 30 years after. 30 years after I started. So I was on the 30-year program to get my BA in English. <laughs> so it's longer than your playing career, Cheech. <laughs> <laughs> oh, way, way longer. Uh, my playing career was 15 years. Yeah. That's not bad. But uh, And then the broadcasting, but with the lockouts and my parents both dying. And, and sure enough, there it was. He, you know, and Shorty's complaining about his sons at Queens and he's got to pay for him for four years and all this kind of stuff. Can you imagine? 30 years. <laughs> going to school for 30 years. Well, at least you pay for a lot of it yourself at the end of it, right? Yeah, yeah I got a picture of my wife and I standing there and I got the little mortar on and. So, so yeah, outside of hanging your BA on the wall, what else have you done it's with not, it? It's rolled up in a, it's rolled up in a tube. It, it's, it's sitting in the there tube? in a tube in a, a storage bin. I haven't got it hanging up. I, I've got a whole bunch of old hockey pictures hanging up and things, and but I don't have my BA hanging up. I should maybe maybe after this, maybe, maybe after I, I'm semi-retired and sitting around and bored out of my skull and then I'll hang oh, that'll be a project frame and hang up my BA and it's in Latin naturally all the oh okay uh, were you lauded education. at your convocation I was lauded yes yeah, so very lauded. good <laughs> so okay you you studied you got a BA in English so mm. what what did you specialize in, in a minor English? in religion minor in if religion you believe wow. that yes and that's why you so you know, what was I your can talk to everybody uh, Randeep and I can discuss when the festivals are happening, and yeah. he's explaining to me all the importance. I at least get it. You get, yeah, get you, some of it. You understand. Religious studies, you understand it. So as, yes. So as far as English, so what was your discipline mostly? And was it like American literature, Canadian literature, uh, British literature? Like, what, what did you specialize no, in? Like oh, no, oh, no. Because you major in it, you have to take the majority of your courses are in English. So, yeah. I mean, Shakespeare, children's mm -hmm. literature, uh, uh Poetry. I mean, it it was a whole plethora of English courses. We'd we'd love to hear some of those uh, those poems you may have written <laughs> through the years, Cheech. Yes. <laughs> yes, they say that Richard Corey, <laughs> uh, you and Walt Whitman, yes. you know, I, I'm he stoppeth one of three. <laughs> the rhyme of the ancient mariner. That was one. I actually did an entire paper on the rhyme of the ancient mariner. And then they'd always quote, and they, some guys that knew that I, I was quoting from the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, they said, that, that's just like your goaltending. You stop at one of three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I'm I'm looking at these Peterborough Pete stats. Thank thank goodness for hockey database. But yes. uh, uh, five shutouts in your second year yes. with the Pete's, uh, a sub three goals against average, and over three thousand minutes played. Oh yes, uh, you had an assist that year and twenty one Pinkney Award. I won the award for the lowest goals against or whatever it is that one that yeah. year. I was going to say, like, it seems pretty good, and also tw- <laughs> twenty-one pims uh, on oh, that yeah. uh, on that year as well. So you were you're a bit of a bad boy on that pizza. Well, station. I jumped in to help Coley Campbell one. I remember, and I got thrown out of the game because Steve <laughs> Durbano was wailing away at Coley Campbell when he was a rookie with the Pete's. Really? So I jumped in there. You defended Colin Campbell. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine defending Colin Campbell in this market now? <laughs> oh, I don't. <laughs> well, how about? Uh, that year, you're talking about all the minutes I played and everything. Yeah. And my five shutouts. The only games I did not play were after those shutouts. Roger really? Nielsen had a theory that if you got a shutout, you used up all your luck so that the next game, you would have no <laughs> luck at all. So the five <laughs> games that I didn't play that year were the games after I had a shutout. So what was what kind of hard to get the streak going? Yeah, no. <laughs> Coach no, won't play in the next game. No kidding. So what's your favorite uh, Roger Nielsen story? Oh man, there's gotta be so many great ones. Yeah, he's he was a classic because in Peterborough he he did uh, all the uh, scouting and he was the coach GM and he was also also teaching high school phys ed. He was at Crestwood. He was a teacher. Wow. He really did yeah, everything. It, it was just he? crazy. Yeah. He was and. <laughs> People wonder why he never got married or never had kids or any of that. He was the man didn't too, have time. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He, he didn't have time. And his training cl- camps were classics: uh, it, conditioning and uh, the video. And he was so ahead of his time. And I remember uh, one training camp, and you could either run. You had to run five miles, or you biked twenty kilometers, or whatever it was. It, it was. And I remember Tiger and Thomas Gradine were so competitive, and they were head and head. And uh, Thomas beat Tiger in the uh, either the running or the cycling, so they went head to head on the next one. They they didn't they didn't take the option of we're just going to do one. They did both things, and uh, they were one two, and the other one too. I I can't remember whether Thomas won both of them or not, but it was just. Uh, it was absolutely crazy, and and Roger was just uh, so classy, way ahead of his time. Yeah. Uh, when anybody got traded, he was the last guy to see them and uh, make sure that he was the one that explained why or whatever, and uh, welcoming the next players. And he he was just so so classy. Uh, so we have a lot of texters being just like, uh, never mind the Canucks, we just want more Cheech stories. So uh, <laughs> well, here's here's. I've got pictures of me, and I don't know whether you'd be able to Google them. You probably can't. But those Peterborough pictures, you look at that mask I mean, I didn't wear a mask until I was 13. I had a little leather helmet that covered the back of my head and then went around, and it had a curved arc down to your temples, and it just was under your chin. And that's uh, all the way up till I started my first year Bantam. And then I went into one of those welder-type clear glass mask that fogged up all the time and how, how? Uh, and then by the time I got to Peterborough it, it was okay this is the big time this is the big time and so I had the team doctor made my mask and uh, you know they they make the mold and you're breathing through a straw and it's fit right tight to your face and he's got the it's like plaster 
mold, and then they poured the fiberglass in and and cut it and. Uh, and I knew right away that the fit wasn't exactly right, that it was kind of, you know, on my forehead and on my nose a little too much. And sure enough, the first time I got hit, uh, I got hit in the nose and the doctor comes in, a different doctor than the one that made my mask. And he puts his thumbs up beside my nose, one on each side. And you can picture this, picture this. I'm, I'm painting you a picture on the radio. He, he's holding his hands and uh, the thumbs are on either side of my nose and the fingers are almost in my ears and he goes oh i think you've broken your nose and then he just flicks his thumbs together and you can hear the snap and he goes oh yeah it's broken <laughs> yeah no kidding and that was one of the first times that i broke it and then all those masks that and they got better and better as uh, greg harrison was making my masks after i turned pro uh but they still uh, when you got hit from the side, like if somebody was coming through the crease and they hit you from the side, it would put pressure on your nose and the nose would shift and then nose break number two would happen and nose break number three would be the next year and it, it was just a continual and uh, people, my wife wonders why I snore so much. Well, maybe. <laughs> we might have some reasoning behind all that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um. Okay, I got to ask about those early years because you played in some interesting cities. Uh, you yes. played in Richmond, Virginia with the uh, Portland Buckaroos. Yes. You played in Kansas City. You even played in Alabama. I mean, what, through those travels, like what, were, like what were the most interesting parts about playing in cities that aren't traditional hockey markets? Uh, well, Kansas City, we played, uh, what was it called? The American Royal Rink in Kansas City. Yeah. And it was a... Uh, rodeo rink. Okay. So you'd get there in the spring, or the spring, you'd get there in the fall, and the rodeo had just finished. And the dressing room was up uh, just above where the corrals were. And so you had to walk down from the corrals, and then you go through the uh, this garage door sort of thing, and the ice was on the other side. But it smelled so bad. <laughs> From the oh, you, you had to fumigate your equipment. It was just the leftovers from the rodeo, and our dressing room was right above it. And it was just oh, man, <laughs> Kansas City Blues. And Kansas City Blues was a, a guy, a coach. The guy's name was John Choice, and uh, the other goal goalie was Chris Worthy, who had played in yeah uh, California, Oakland. He played for the Oakland Seals for a while. Ended up in the WHA, played for the Edmonton Oilers for a while. But anyway, uh, Chris Worthy was the other goalie, and John Choice used to come in. And we'd warm up, and he would never tell us who was playing. And then uh, he always had us sitting side by side. <laughs> and he'd throw a puck at the goalie that was playing. So we, we'd have our gloves on, and we're getting ready to go out in the ice. And he, he'd literally, just before we go out in the ice, he'd throw the puck at the goalie that was playing. Well, we weren't very good, and by the end of the season, we were both kind of pretending like we had the gloves ready, and we'd be ducking out of the way, and the puck would hit the wall. And, Come on, you guys. <laughs> One of you's got to go in there. Catch the puck. <laughs> Are you just trying to get out of the way? Uh, I'm not going in there. You're trying to throw the puck at me. Not, not looking. <laughs> Oh, man, like, like, how scary was it, though, Like when all of a sudden you And then it got traded. Well, Kansas City, here's another story. Uh, I get to, I'm going to Kansas City. I get sent there to the miners, and I figure, okay, I'll just buy myself a cheapy car. 
I bought myself a cheapy car when I was working at the paper mill when I was playing junior. I bought a, a $300 Vauxhall 3 on the tree. What a great little car that was. I, I like that, but it not very efficient, and it, it broke down. But anyway, <laughs> I, I'm in Kansas City, and I'm looking around for a cheap car. And I get recommended from this bar that I was in. A DeMarco's bar, the guy who owned DeMarco says, oh, go and see my buddy. Go and see my buddy. And so he gives me the address of this guy. And uh, the car dealership is called Easy Ernie's. So I'm, oh, buying, boy. I'm buying my car at Easy Ernie's. And I bought a Cutlass convertible, and it was like a 64 Cutlass convertible, for 350 bucks. And it, it was a great car. But... Uh, convertible in Kansas City in the winter. Kansas City is kind of, you still get some winter, so it was cold, and the, the <laughs> cans, canvas top ripped, and I had to get the trainers to sew it up, and that was always happening. But before the season ended, I'm taking a corner, and the uh, axle broke. So my $350 car was left at the side of the road in Kansas. <laughs> so you got traded, and you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to leave this one here. Yeah, we're just leaving it there on <laughs> I'm not going to get that towed away. It's not worth the price of towing. What was your favorite car while you were playing? Oh, you've seen those pictures of when the team folded in in Minnesota? Yeah. That sedan DeVille that I had? Yeah. That was a, that was a beautiful car. That was a nice car. I thought the answer was going to be the one you should have won. Uh, the one you should have won at the All-Star game. <laughs> well, we had a we had a small Firebird, uh, I think it was a Firebird Esprit uh, oh. that we bought my wife and I before we had kids but as soon as we, the back seat and you couldn't put and there was no such thing as a car seat back yeah. then this is you know early 70s mid 70s it was about 73 I guess when I bought the fire but anyway uh, they didn't have car seats so they had like bassinet sort of things and it wouldn't fit in the back seat of the of the firebird so we got this sedan deville and this was one where I had had a couple of really good years in Minnesota, and I just signed a new contract. And uh, we had a two-bedroom place, and we bought another one. We had a three-bedroom place. And, uh, you know, I don't want uh, anybody to really feel sorry for me because of my own mistakes. But Alan Eagleson, oh, this is going to be, uh, yeah, the team's fine. The franchise is fine. Your contract's good, blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, the team folds. <laughs> the team folds. <laughs> so I got two houses, and I got this sedan DeVille that I'm making payments on. And I just had a baby. There you go. Good times. <laughs> the WHA, Sharon, did those you are sign wild up for years. This? My wife signed up for this one. Yeah. 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 Well, here's one for my wife. She'll, <laughs> you'll like this one. Uh, so uh, I get traded from Kansas City, from St. Louis to Chicago. Right. So I'm in Chicago's organization, and they have a working agreement with Portland in the Western League. And that's how I ended up in Portland. You mentioned that I played yeah. with the Buckaroos. And, uh, Bill Orban and I were the two Chicago Blackhawk players uh, playing for the Portland Buckaroos at the time. So uh, my wife and I drive out from Ontario to Portland, which is a long drive and all this kind of stuff. And we got a U-Haul. And so we get an apartment. And uh, it's in December. It's mid-December. And uh, Dave Kelly was the other goalie. And the coach of the Portland Buckaroos played Dave Kelly four straight games. Yeah. And and so Chicago got bugged about that and said, okay, we're going to recall you. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. Uh, where am I going? And they said, well, we don't have any place for you right yet. 
So uh, you just <laughs> you just go back to Ontario, and that's how I ended up in Richmond. You just go back to Ontario, go back to Trenton, and uh, we'll call you when you get back to Trenton. We'll let you know where you're going to go. So I'm telling my wife this on December 22nd or something. She takes the Christmas tree, and we're on the second floor of this apartment building. The dumpster's down on the first floor. Takes a Christmas tree off the deck and just throws it. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, this is lovely. Oh. I think that was the first year we were married, so she she got used to it in a hurry. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, uh, you were oh. the traveling the traveling couple oh, for a couple and of years. Then you'll like this one too. Here's another one, and this is a continuation of that story. So she's we have a cat, and back then they didn't have those nice little plastic cat carriers, a big wooden thing. It weighed about 20 pounds, this wooden cat carrier for our little Siamese cat. But anyway, uh, so she's going to fly back to Ontario, and I'm going to drive with our stuff in the Mm U-Haul. So uh, I start driving cross-country, and she starts flying, and it's the, you know, getting to be towards Christmas time. And she, she go Portland, Chicago, Chicago, Toronto. So... She goes, Portland, Chicago, and the weather's really bad in Chicago, and she can't get out of Chicago. <laughs> so she's stuck in Chicago with this wooden carrier with the cat, no place to stay. <laughs> she, so she's she's sitting in, in the airport phoning me. Well, we're on pay phones yeah. <laughs> whenever I'm stopping. And uh, she's, she got stuck there for a couple of days. She got home eight hours before I did. I drove from Portland <laughs> back to Ontario. She got home. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. It's going to be good times. Yeah. yeah. You signed up for, we're at 50 <laughs> years now. We're, we'll be 50, well, we're at 52 years. No, when do we get married? 72. We'll be at 51 years uh, this July. And she stuck it out. There you go. That's impressive. She some medal. Especially, especially hearing some of these stories. Oh, man. <laughs> what if yeah. Forge, oh, Forge is a special a, bond, right? Yeah. And then they called me up and, uh, well, we're sending you to Richmond. <laughs> so I go to Richmond, and I, I'm playing for Ronnie Wilson's dad, Larry Wilson. Great guy. I, yeah. I like Larry a lot. He, he was a really nice man. And uh, so I'm in Richmond, and I'm playing, and I, Larry's playing me every game. And uh, I said, well, you know, it'd be nice if I could uh, get an apartment and stay. Well, I can't make that decision. I'll have to talk to Philly. So I'm in a hotel. Finally, she gets to come down to uh, Richmond and uh, trying to find an apartment month to month because it's February then, and I'm only going to be there another month or two. <laughs> oh, oh. And, then, and then at the end of the season, uh, Chicago calls me up for the playoffs to be the backup, standby, you know, during the playoffs. They always have three or four goalies. Taxi throughout. squad goalie, yeah. Taxi squad goalie, that was me. So she gets to go home by herself again. <laughs> Uh, oh, what a great year. Oh, uh, man. Uh, highlights Cheech. of the first year of marriage to Cheech. <laughs> there you go. Why doesn't everybody want to be married to Cheech? Come on. <laughs> well, uh, Just think of what fun you have. <laughs> the stories. Uh, yes. Oh, the listeners oh. are loving the stories. We know that uh, much. Oh. But we got to run. Uh, story time with Cheech. Uh, uh, we'll, hopefully we'll have uh, a couple more of these. Yeah. yeah why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> Thanks, Cheech. Uh, anytime. Yeah, uh, we'll see you in a bit. Uh, there is John Garrett. Uh, incredible story time, man. I mean, Cheech we are in the early years. Hey, listen, when Cheech is going, we'll let him go. Like yeah. Mike and Willoughby said, I don't even know if you guys need to be there. Just let the guy <laughs> rip, and that's what we did. We got out the way, and we are way late. Uh, coming up, it's the mailbag here on Canuck Central.